a reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, See God, I have come to do your will, O God. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, see, I have come to do your will. He abolishes the first in order to establish the second. And it is by God's will that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of this time together this morning and for the gift of your word and your spirit, and we ask that you would indeed dawn in the darkness of our lives and lift our hearts toward you, that we may behold the glory of Christ and be changed more and more into a people of love and peace and joy. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. C.S. Lewis famously said that we... We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. And he goes on to say that it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly to the turn of a road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and to find no one to share it with. Does that ring true to you? That praise or celebration completes our enjoyment of the good, the true, the beautiful, the delicious, the wondrous things of this life. That's why when I went out on a special outing last night with my family, with my kids and with my mom to take them to the theater, my first instinct was what? 
to post it so that I can invite others into sharing in that celebratory moment. Celebrating, it's a human thing. It's something we do. It's something we crave, and it's something we often try to manufacture artificially when we lack the real thing. And this time of year, that's exactly what we see so much of going on around us, right? Manufactured celebration. It's so much of what we buy and give and eat and drink and cover in wrapping paper and tinsel and artificial smiles and vanilla frosting. It's also so much of what we are returning and regifting and regretting as the holiday hangover sets in and reveals just how fleeting and ultimately unsatisfying our attempts to generate joy can be. But on this fourth Sunday of Advent, we remember Mary. And when we do that, we find ourselves drawn into a very different kind of celebration. Not the superficial, self-generated kind that leaves us empty, but a robust, authentic, deeply humanizing practice of celebration, the kind we long for and the kind that actually completes our joy. As we've been saying all throughout this Advent season, Advent is not simply a time in which we prepare for Christmas, but rather it's a season in which we actually prepare for Christ himself the one who is coming again to bring the fullness of God's kingdom on earth. And what we'll see today, what I hope we see today, is that preparing for Christ has everything to do with how and what we celebrate. Because what we celebrate is what we love. And what we love is what we celebrate. And as St. Augustine says, we become like what we love. We are becoming what we celebrate. So what do you celebrate? What is it that ultimately draws your affection, your joy, your praise? What is it that you delight in and with whom do you share it? If we are to become a people who welcome Christ who is returning and if we are to welcome and fit the world order of love and peace that he promises to establish when he returns, then we must practice celebrating that which God celebrates. Loving that which God himself loves. Indeed, we must practice loving and celebrating God himself. And I think what we find here in our text from Luke's gospel today is that Mary, Mary is our guide and our friend in this quest to discover that deeper celebration that brings forth life, that actually completes our joy and satisfies our deepest longings. Maybe some of you this week saw the piece about Mary's song that ran in the Washington Post on Thursday. Uh, the author, D.L. Mayfield, uh, describes her experience of growing up in an evangelical Protestant family and, and an evangelical Protestant church in which Mary was almost entirely overlooked. Mayfield describes playing the role of Mary in a church Christmas play when she was 15 years old, and she had no lines. And she's, she's reflecting on this, on this experience of this merry, meek, and mild character who was a silent character, as far as she understood in the Christmas story. A story that featured lots of other actors and heroes, but Mary was silent. And Mayfield, in this article, describes reading later in life this section of Luke's gospel where she comes across Mary's song that we just read. And being shocked to find that Mary 
has a voice. Mary is not a silent character in the story of what God is doing. Mary is, in fact, a bold, vocal exemplar of the Christian faith. Now, she's more than an exemplar. She plays an integral role. God gives her a very particular, distinguished task within what he's doing in the world. She gets to be the mother of Christ and the bearer of God. But she's also a hero and an exemplar who shows us much of what faith is about and what celebration in that life-giving way is about. And so Mayfield's piece, it's a, it's a really helpful corrective to, um, to what may be, for many of us in our own backgrounds, kind of a, an, an underappreciation of Mary and her dignified role, her place of honor in God's story, in God's world, and in our own lives. But there's also this other aspect where as we read this song, we can easily be tipped in another way of, of over-reading or misreading this text. Just as easily as we can be swept away in neglecting Mary's voice and song and under-appreciating her place in the story, we can also be tempted to read her words in a direction which she herself is not speaking them. It's, it's, these words lend themselves to a kind of, kind of revolutionary clarion call to activism, which is not entirely inappropriate, but can, can easily get um, beyond what Mary is saying or maybe sidestep some of the most important pieces of what Mary is saying. And Joel Green, in his words on this text, actually speaks right to this problem. He says this, Mary's song is not a revolutionary call to human action but a celebration of God's action. Indeed, God's dramatic work is against those who would take power into their own hands, according to this song. And he references verse 52. On the other hand, the story of God's redemption is not God's story only. Through his gracious initiative, God seeks out other actors, partners like Mary and Anna, who will share in God's work. Mary's song cannot be defined as a clarion call to revolutionary activity then, but it does solicit from us a similar choice. I think Green really beautifully captures this tension that we hold where Mary, as she sings, she sings of God's action, not human actions, yet she sings as one who's being drawn into that story herself who's aligning her own activity in the world with what God is doing, celebrating that which God is doing, and allowing that beauty to shape her actions and the course of her life. God is the actor. We become actors in, with, and through God by way of his gracious inclusion of us. And this is what Mary teaches, and this is what we are taught to celebrate on this fourth Sunday of Advent. Who is Mary to you? Who has she been in your upbringing? As you think about her, we come from a lot of different places and a lot of different theological backgrounds, church backgrounds, some in the church, some outside of the church. Who is Mary to you? And I would, I would suggest this morning that we recognize Mary as an exemplar of elegantly simple faith elegantly simple faith. Now, there are different kinds of simplicity, aren't there? There's, there's a naive kind of simplicity that is sort of just childlike, right? It's a way of thinking or speaking about the world that is simplistic, too simple to be true or compelling. That's not what Mary embodies. 
Oliver Wendell Holmes famously said that, you know, he, for the simplicity on the near side of complexity, I would not give a fig. But for the simplicity on the far side of complexity, I would give my whole life. The simplicity that's not dependent upon naivete and avoiding the complicated stuff, yet a simplicity that can emerge through all of the complex mess of this world and not get stuck in the cynicism of all of the problematizing questions that we end up with in the complex mess. That, Holmes says, is the gold for which he would give his whole life. And that is what Mary embodies in this story and commends to us, I believe, as we follow in her footsteps as followers of Jesus. Mary's song that we get here in this text is this beautiful expression of this elegantly simple, robust faith that's not oblivious to the hardships of the world, yet is also not stuck within them as if there could be nothing to celebrate. And so Mary, as this Advent figure of celebration and hope, draws us into this space, the space of vulnerability in the world that is also a space of joy. And she models for us what it looks like to be an Advent people. And she gives us this song. Let's look at the song. It's reminiscent of other songs that we find in the Bible, like the song of Moses or Miriam and the Exodus story as they've come through into uh, the other side, and there they are, and they offer this song of praise to God. Or the song of Hannah that we get in First, in first Samuel. They're these wonderful songs where God has done something powerful on behalf of his people, and someone or the community of people erupt in praise. And it's reminiscent also of the psalms of praise that we find in, in the scriptures where um, declaring praise for God and then giving an explanation of why this praise is due to the one who has acted on behalf of the people. It's a song that looks back in remembrance but also forward in hope, which is the Advent dynamic. Remembrance and anticipation. Watching waiting and preparing. And what we get in this song is a portrait of God. We get God the powerful one who acts on behalf of his people, and we get God the faithful, merciful one who remembers his promise and keeps it. And it's beautiful the way we see Mary's celebration uh, as both this personal, profoundly personal, explosion of praise, God has looked upon me with favor. But it's also a profoundly public expression where God is doing something in the world, something that he promised from long ago, and he's actually doing it. It's both this personal dimension and this public dimension that are held together in this beautiful resonance. And as she talks about this, she speaks about herself and she speaks about God's people of Israel in these two movements, really. And she uses the same words to describe herself and God's people. If you look at verse 48, she describes herself as God's servant. But if you look at verse 54, that's the same way she talks about Israel. If you, look about, if you look at verse 48 and 50, she talks about herself as being the object of God's favor and mercy. But then in 54, there is Israel, the object of God's mercy. She is the lowly one in verse 48. Israel is the lowly one in 52. And we see them both experiencing God's mercy forever. 
in verses 50 and 55. There's this double movement of God's personal engagement with Mary and God's covenantal engagement with his people of Israel that is for the sake of the world, this ancient promise God made to Abraham back in the day. And what Mary says is that this movement of God, it looks like this, that the proud, the powerful, and the rich, those who grasp for honor and wealth at the expense and the exclusion of others, will be brought low. Because by oppressing others, they, they have opposed God. And what Mary is saying is that this gospel of God, that what the good news that has come in Jesus is that God, who opposes the proud but acts on behalf of the lowly, is doing something new in the world, and he's included her in it. And what she's saying is not that he's simply overturning, right, where it's like those who were once low are now, now they get their turn on the throne to become oppressors. No, it's that his kingdom of peace and justice and equity is coming on the earth and that he has made her and his people included in it. So as we think about Mary's celebration, there's just a few things that I think as we consider her as an exemplar of this elegantly simple faith and we take this song and think about what it means for us to live with it uh, in the end of our Advent season as we enter into the Christmas season of celebration. I just want us to think about this beautiful moment of Mary and how she celebrates this honor of getting to be the one who bears Christ into the world. And in verse 46 to 49, I think the accent of that sentence, she is celebrating because she gets the honor of bearing Christ into the world. The accent falls on she. She is included in what's going on. She's celebrating this personal aspect that God has shown favor to her. In verses 44 and 45, I think the accent falls on on Christ. She gets the honor of bearing Christ into the world. She's celebrating this promise of what God is doing and how he's bringing it to fulfillment in the long-awaited king that the world has been starved for and God is now delivering on his promise. But in verses 50 and 53, I think we get the accent on the world. She gets the honor of bearing Christ into the world. This isn't a gift just for her. It's a gift for the world. That's what the promise has always been about. The promise to Abraham that she mentions here was always that God would bless his people and make them a blessing for the world. And she's celebrating in this personal and public moment her own inclusion in it, the beauty of what God is doing and the fact that it is for earth. And a couple things about her celebrating that I think are instructive for us that maybe help draw our imagination and our affection toward this promise-keeping, faithful, powerful God. One of the is that she's celebrating in the midst of hardship. Think about her story. Who is Mary? She's a young, unwed, teenage, poor girl on the margins of society. And the news that she hears from an angel is, you're pregnant. You're going to be pregnant. You're going to play a role in God's story, but that role is going to be perceived by everyone around you to be a shameful, scandalous one that won't bring you greater honor in the eyes of those around you. It will bring you less. This is your honor. 
So she's not from this place of sort of looking at the world through rose-colored glasses saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. She's from a very profound place of vulnerability, experiencing the real jagged edges of life in a broken world in which she is a vulnerable person. And anyone who would look on her circumstances would say, you are not blessed. From that place, she, with elegantly simple, not naively simplistic faith, explodes in praise because she understands something glorious about what God is doing in the world and she's willing to trust his promise rather than her present experience as most determinative of what is true for her own life. It's not just that she's celebrating in the midst of hardship, though. I think there's this other aspect of it where she's celebrating ahead of time. Right? I mean, I think as you read this passage and you look at the, at the way she describes what God has done, she's speaking in this almost past tense or this perfect tense, this, this is the way things are now. And, you're, and you read it, and it's hard not to think, like, Mary, what are you talking about? You're living in the midst of the Roman Empire, and this is not what the world looks like. But she's beholding that future that God promises so profoundly and she's recognizing her own inclusion and her own present participation in that world so powerfully that she explodes in celebratory praise. This is who God is. This is what God is doing. This is what God has included me in, and this is for the world. This is the blessing of God. And so she's celebrating ahead of time, almost in this counting her chickens before they're hatched sort of way. It's how it feels, right? It's like you're speaking about things that are not yet as if they were now. And I think Mary's lesson for us is exactly. That is what it means to be an Advent people of hope. People who embody now and watch and wait now and prepare now. For the world that is not yet, but in us, through us, by God's gracious invitation, in its own mysterious and veiled way, is now. And on that basis, Mary is called to be the bearer of Christ into the world. And as we think about our own place in the story and about how God has included us as well in that grand unfolding story of what he is doing in the world, this blessing of all the families of the earth in and through this promised one, our calling in Christ and by his spirit is to be bearers of Christ into the world. Not in a way that allegorizes Mary's bearing of Christ in some way as to dehistoricize that or something, but is to recognize that what Mary is called to do in her own unique, honored way is its own window for us into our own vocation in the world as those who bear Christ into the world. And that is our call to celebrate. You, you are given the honor of bearing Christ into the world. And as we celebrate that glorious reality, there are moments where the accent should fall on you. I, I am included. What is God thinking? Why would I be included? It's ridiculous in some ways. What, what could I possibly have to offer? 
I'm included. You are included. And there's such great, profound, personal cause for celebration at that glorious reality. You have been given the honor of bearing Christ into the world. Christ, the one, the firstborn of all creation, the one by whom and for whom and through whom all things were made, the one in whom God has introduced himself to the world, who has lived and died and risen and will come again. You have the honor and the privilege and the vocation of bearing him into the world. Into the world. That through our bearing Christ, the world may be blessed. The cosmos, God's creation, the hills and the streams, all the people, all the families of the earth, all things are being made new in this Christ that we, along with Mary and all the saints, have the glory and the honor of bearing into the world. That's worth celebrating. And that is the kind of celebration that doesn't leave us hungover and empty and wanting more and wishing we hadn't the next day. That's the kind of celebration that brings forth life into us and through us to others. And that is exactly that Advent and Christmas kind of celebration where our watching and our waiting and our praise come together in this personal and public embodiment of God's promise, God's future, and God's Christ for the sake of the world. And so as we go from here, as we go from the table today, what would it look like for us to walk out of this space into the other spaces of life as the bearers of Christ? And what would it look like for us to be those who watch and wait for that world that God promises and to watch for the ways that it erupts in our midst even now as we bear forth Christ in our relationships, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, in the ways that we hope and dream about the future, in the ways we relate to our fears and the things that keep us awake at night and make our hearts race, if we begin to let that glorious future of God transform the way we inhabit the present as those who are included and who are made bearers of Christ in the world. Can you celebrate that? And will you let that joy that celebration burst forth from you as you praise him this Christmas. Let's pray. Our God, we give you thanks for your kindness to us in Jesus. We thank you for the ways in which you have allowed us to behold his glory, the glory of your only son. And we pray that as we enter into the very, very end of this Advent season and as we approach Christmas, that you would continue to form us as a people who watch and who wait for you, a people who long for the things that you promise, a people who love the things that you love, and who aim our lives at seeking first your kingdom and celebrating first those things which you have promised to us and you have granted us in your son, Jesus. Thank you for Mary your servant, the lowly one that you have given this place of great honor. And thank you that with her and like her, you have given us in our own little ways places of honor in your kingdom as those who bear forth you in the world. 
would you tune our hearts to sing your praise and to celebrate like Mary this Christmas. We pray through the name of our strong Savior Jesus. Amen.